Um, so I thought we would uh, discuss this topic, which obviously is very relevant to what's happening right now, um, for multiple reasons, because I don't even have to explain to you why it's, why it's important. Uh, if it's important for multiple reasons, as we're going to see, um, obviously it's important in terms of just our... I think it's always important to understand our perspective. Like, what is the halacha? What, is, what do we think hashkafically about these questions, not just what we think emotionally about it? Um, and even as the world banters back and forth um, about these questions... So again, it's important to know, what do we as Jews actually think about it? What, what, what is our opinion um, about the question of something like civilian casualties? Um, we don't want people to die, um, not innocent people. But at the same time, how does that work when those innocent people are found in the area of people who we need to kill because we need to get rid of them um, because they're trying to murder us? Um, and at the same time, to what extent do we risk our own soldiers uh, in order to um, account for civilians on the other side. Obviously, the last couple of days have been very painful um, in terms of um, loss of life um, of soldiers. And to what extent are we even are we allowed to risk the lives of soldiers in order to uh, account for civilians on the other side? Not, I, I'm not speaking wh- whether that's what's happening now. You know, that's not clear to me even, that that's what's happening right now. That used to be something we talk about in these previous iterations of this conflict um, that we would send, the IDF was sending in people on the ground because that was a way of preventing, you know, from carpet bombing, let's say, and, and, uh, and you know, having many more civilian deaths. I'm not, it's not clear to me that's the reason they have to be on the ground. Now, there's a lot more, it's a lot more complicated now that they have hostages and they have to destroy the tunnels, etc. But even so, if there would be such a, such a calculation of making a decision to um, do things that would be more dangerous for our own troops um, in order to <coughs> limit civilian casualties. Is that something we're allowed to do? Is that something that we're supposed to do? Um, so let's get started from the beginning. I apologize, it may not be totally enough, so if we can just share if we don't have... Um, uh, we'll see. Let's, let's, let's go. Everyone has? Everybody has? Okay, all right, good. Okay, so let's start from the way beginning, because the way beginning is... Um, where do you find conversations in Chazal about the rules of engagement, of war? Right? Where do you find the, the halachos of civilian casualties? What mesechta do you find it in? So if you look in source number one, source number one is a tshuva from of Usher Weiss. Of Usher Weiss. This is a tshuva. He did not write this year. He wrote a number of years ago because um, this topic has obviously been relevant for a long time. And he writes the following. I'll, I'll make sure to translate as we go along. Um, if you want to look inside, great. So I'm going to explain it all outside anyways. The one possibility, the one area to talk about is the question of rode, for when someone's trying to kill you, you're allowed to kill them. Even if it doesn't work, uh, the rules of, rules of war are different, as we spoke about a little bit last time. And there could be times, according to the laws of war, a person is permitted. This is, I guess I'm a little bit, uh, a little bit jumping the gun, but giving you, know, you a conclusion here. But he's, he's going to tell you that there are scenarios, at least, in which it's permissible to, um, to kill those who are innocent, innocent civilians, when there's no other option. However, you don't find this halacha anywhere in the Gemara or in the Acharonim. Why not? 
It's found in Tanakh. And why is that? From the time of Churban Beis HaMikdash, 70 CE, hundreds of years before the, the Gemara was finished, or even began, right? Um, there was no longer a Jewish kingdom. There was no practical reason to talk about the rules of engagement and war. They didn't really talk about the shadows of how, do you, how does a Jewish army wage a war? There was no Jewish army. There was no Jewish community in, 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 in Eretz Yisrael. So where do you find questions of war in Judaism? Jewish, you know, the Jewish kingdom waging war in Tanakh. Right? You really look at Tanakh and the Mepharshim. There's no Shulchan Aruch based on the Tanakh. But there is, there is Tanakh and there is um, stories in Tanakh and there are Mepharshim. We've shown him. And Achronim, we talk about it, give explanations for what it is that's happening in Tanakh. And he goes on to explain that there's a conversation to, can we paskin halacha based on a gada? Right? Some of the Gemaras that tell stories. Can you paskin a shayla based on a story in the Gemara? So he says, yeah, that we, we usually say no. Uh, nevertheless, he says, that's true when the story is a, a, a story in the Gemara. But if the story is a story in the Tanakh, it's a different story. And in those cases, we are allowed to, uh, to uh, make decisions and in, in, in making even Pesach halacha based on what happens in a story in Tanakh. So, if you want to look at an example of a story, and this won't be the only one, but in a story in Tanakh that talks about the question of civilian casualties when waging war, so the first place to look is the story of Dina. Right? Dina is source number one, source number two here has, you, uh, has the whole story of Dina. Without going into all the details, Dina goes out and she's, uh, she's kidnapped by Shechem. And... Uh, Shechem, the son of Hamor, and Hamor is the head of this whole community. And what happens? He takes her and he and he rapes her, and he and he wants to keep her for a wife. And they and then right and then he comes to uh, Hamor, the father comes to Yaakov and the brothers have this whole conversation. You know, he really loves her. Maybe we should make it. And, and uh, we want to. He wants. His, she wants. Him to, uh, he wants her to be his wife. And so the brothers come Benirma, right? They come and they trick, right? Hamor and Shechem and their whole community and say, no problem. We'll make a deal. Our daughters will marry your sons if they all get a bris milah. So what do they do? They all get a bris milah. And then the third day after bris milah, they're all uh, weakened from their surgeries. And they go in and they kill every single man in Shechem. Every single man. Clearly, every single man was not involved in the capture of Dina. So how could it be? And, everyone, and, and what happens at the end of that story? Yaakov is upset. Right? And, he, and, he, and he castigates his sons. And what are you doing? How could you do this? They're surrounding us and it's going to put us in danger. And, and the sons res- and, the, and Shimon and Levi respond, You're going to let this happen to our, to, to our, to our sister? And Yaakov doesn't respond. They get the last line until maybe before his death and, he's, and he you know, laces into them. But, but this story raises the question for many of them who have shown him, like, it's very difficult to understand. How did they do that? They went and they massacred an entire community, how is that something that Shimon Levi could do? So the Rambam and the Ramban engage in quite a machlokas, a debate about this question. How do you understand the story of Shimon Levi going in and, 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 and leveling basically the entire city of Shechem? So the Rambam writes this as follows in source number three. He writes, He's talking about the question in general 
of the responsibility of non-Jews to have to follow the, the seven mitzvahs in Noach, the seven Noahide laws, and the responsibility to one of them is to have dinim. Right? They have to have courts where they, uh, you know, where they uh, adjudicate cases and make sure that there is some type of re- you know, reasonable, responsible court system in, the, in a community. Right, so there's six laws, and the seventh one is to have judges and court and court system to judge on those six laws. and to warn their 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 nations to be careful about this the, the, these six other laws. And Allah is that a Ben Noach who, who violates one of the Shev Mitzvah Noach is punished with death by the sword. And therefore, says the Rambam, he throws it in. And by the way, And that, by the way, is the reason why all of the people of Shechem were Chayv Misa. They were, they were, they were, it was right for them to be killed. Gazal. What did Shechem do? He stole. He kidnapped. Right? He violated one of the Shechem Noach. Is that he kidnapped somebody. They saw what he did. They knew what he did. And they came to make a deal. Instead of saying... You violated the Shem Mitzvah Noach, Chayav Misa, right? And they didn't do that. In fact, they didn't do that. What does it mean? There was a lack of the entire community creating a court system, which means they violated Shem Mitzvah Noach. Okay. His father came to negotiate. Yes. Well, everybody's. The Rambam wants to argue. Everybody's complicit, right? Everybody. No one. No one said arrest him. Let's go. There was silence, right? Yeah. They they didn't arrest him. Okay. We're gonna have others who. We're going to have others who disagree with the Rambam. But this is what the Rambam says. Nobody said anything. They didn't do anything, right? They said nothing. And saying nothing, says the Rambam, is, means you didn't set up a court system. It's more than, it's more than just saying nothing. They didn't have a court system to judge him. Right? They say what he did was wrong. And, and it's a very lenient process for killing a Ben Noach. You just need one witness and you just need one judge. It's supposed to have us. We have 23, right? And uh, you don't need to be warned, etc. Fine. But the bottom line is the follows. The Rambam believes that the members of society are responsible for the actions of the leaders of their society. And if they don't do so and they don't judge them, then they're Chayav Misa just like the rest of them, just like the people who, who committed the sin. Um, fine. Uh, th- this, you know, this approach, by the way, would fit a little bit in terms of what the Allied forces did to Germany in, uh, in World War II when they bombed German cities. Uh, you bomb German cities, you're not bombing, you know, you're not, you're not bombing uh, uh, soldiers. You're bombing innocent civilians. Why were they bombing innocent civilians? Because they felt that if they did that, then the German people would turn on Hitler. Right? And that was sort of the goal. But they, they killed hundreds of thousands of Germans uh, when, they bombed, when they bombed German cities. And presumably it's sort of like part of the same process, right? You, you're, you're doing nothing. You're, you're going along with your evil leader, leadership, who is uh, murdering people. And so that would maybe, you know, uh, so according to the Rambam, you don't even argue you could, you could actually target civilians, right? Because you're targeting civilians in order to oust their corrupt leadership, perhaps. Um, some would argue they, uh, you know, Hamas was elected, right? Elected the heads of Gaza. What kind of election that was, we can't say. But okay, please tell me, you can make such an argument. Fine. The Rambam, however, does not agree with the Rambam. And the Rambam writes as follows in source number four. Um, he, 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 the first paragraph, he basically asks the question, how did this happen? How did they do this? And he quotes the Rambam. And then he writes in the second paragraph, where it's bolded. These things 
do not make sense to me. I don't believe this. This is the right shot. The reason they were able to do so is because, like the Rambam says, they didn't because they, they didn't set up you know court system. Shimkain Hayakav Avinu Chayav Lios Kodem Vizochav Misasam. Who is the one who play, who you know you know play this out? It's it's Shimon and Levi, right? And Yaakov Avinu does not, right? He should have been first in line. If this is what's supposed to happen, Yaakov should be first in line. Vimpachad Mehem. Lama kasab, and you say that you know Yaakov was nervous, and his sons are stronger. So lama kasabanov, arar apam, achar kamas manim. Why is he so angry at them? And then later he tells them, arar apam, right? Shimon of Levi, Achim. He's a, before he dies, he curses them, sort of, right, for what they did. So if this is totally the right thing to do, why is Yaakov upset? Ve'anashosam ve'chalkam ve'vitzam. He actually separates Shimon of Levi, and the, their chilek are, are separate for that reason. Right? What do you mean? They did exactly what they're supposed to do? So it can't be. So why does the Rambam have to find that they had to do this? Since, wait a second. You want to find like a halacha that they violated in order to say that, that the people of Shechem have to be killed according to these halachos? They, they did a vodazara. They were they did a they, they divided every, They violated all these halachos. All the time, right? It just wasn't up to them, right? They did everything, every bad thing under the sun. That they were doing Vodazar everywhere, on the mountains, down in the valleys, you know, and don't do like them. So, so what's going on here? Says the Ramban. That might be true. It could be that they were responsible. But it wasn't right for Yaakov and his sons to execute them in that way. That wasn't the right thing to do. And that's why Yaakov's angry at them at the end. Fine. So he, basically, the Ramban doesn't necessarily disagree, right, that, uh, you know, that technically they may have been Chayim Misa, but he still disagrees that Shimon and Levi should not have done. He, the Ramban basically saying that what they did was right. Ramban saying, clearly the Ram, Yaakov thinks that what they did was wrong. So it's hard to learn from the Rambam and from this example to be necessarily our, our, our whole proof. But the Maral has a different shot, source number five. So the Maral, the Maral in, in the Guru Aryeh is a, is a parish on Rashi. So there's Rashi and the, the, the Guru Aryeh of the Maral, he says a commentary on Rashi himself. And he wants to explain what's happening in this story. So he says, This whole thing is very confusing. How could they judge the person who was uh, the son of the head of this whole community? They're afraid of them. And even though you're going to say they have to, you know, they have to set up judges, that's if you're able to do so. Like Yaakov and his sons are not equipped to judge them. Um, so then he says, No problem. So he says it's not a problem because it's like two. It's not like it's like it's not like two nations. Meaning, Kagon, Bnei Yisrael v'Kananim, Shehem Shnei Umos. Right? There's Bnei Yisrael and the Kananim who are like two nations. Kedich Ziv, Vayinu La'Amechad. Right? They wanted to be. What do they say when they come to to Yaakov and his sons? They say, you know, that's how our children get married to each other, and we'll be like one nation. Clearly, meaning Umitchila Lo Nechshavu La'Amechad. Clearly, like two nations. Okay. So therefore, Ulufikach says the Maral. Therefore, Hutar Lehem Lilchom Kedin Uma. Why were they allowed to kill many more than just the people? Than just the people there, because when one nation fights another nation, right, the rules change. 
Shitira Hatorah, the Torah is permit, permits this type of killing in this moment. There's a rule in general. If they're coming to, if a Jewish army goes to capture another city, not in Mechemah's mitzvah, not when they're attacking you, but you're just trying to expand your land, etc. And, and they say, if you want to go capture the city, what do you do? You have to call to them first and say, do you surrender? If you surrender, we're not going to touch you. Just surrender and we'll come in and we'll take over. You're supposed to do that. So says, even though that's what the Pasuk says, that's when what? When they haven't done anything to you. If they attacked you, like these people who, are, who had kidnapped and, 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 and raped their daughter, even though only one person did it, since it's part of their nation, since they started it, basically what he says, because they started it, we're allowed to, literally means take revenge on them. In that moment. If other cases also, right? When, the Midian, when Midian attacks the Jews, same thing. Hashem says, go get them. And they're allowed to get all of them. Even though there are many people in that, in that nation who didn't do anything to us. We don't make that distinction. They're part of a nation that hurt, that harmed us. So Maral says, this is, this is the rules of war. The rules of war are that when an individual or some individuals from one nation attack our nation and we have to now respond, we don't make distinctions. Doesn't sound very PC. Right? You don't make distinctions. And you go and you attack. And even if that means those who are innocent end up getting hurt or end up getting killed, that's how war works. And that's what the Goryari wants to argue. That's what the, 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 the Maral wants to argue. According to the, to the Maral, you have a much large, it's a much, you know, broader, um, you know, kind of like rules of engagement of war. He wants to argue that's something that's permitted to do in such a case. Um, but, the, but the Rambam and the Maral are still different, right? While the, the Rambam, you know, focuses on the guilt of the nation because they didn't do something when they could have, right? The Maral just focuses on the victimized nation's response. And you need an effective response, then you need to respond. It's not because they didn't say. It could be even if they had no way to say. Right? They're, they're, they're really innocent. But it doesn't matter if we need to respond effectively, and that means that civilians will die. So says the Maral, that's, that's what you do. Those are the rules of engagement of war. So take a look now at this, the, the continuation of the Minchas Asha. This is Rav Asher Weiss, a continuation of the of same, same piece that we recorded before. And he writes as follows. B'milchama bein shtei umot. When you have a war between two nations, right? So he's quoting from right this Maral, right? That when, when there's a war and they've attacked, and we need to attack, attack back. It's just very strong language. The blood of the other nation is permissible in a certain sense. It's 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 free to be spilled. Which would be different if Yaakov and Esav were fighting. They're just brothers. He wants to argue, when it comes to Yaakov and Esav, that'd be different. They're not two nations. But when it comes to two nations, it's different. This is when two nations fight each other. 
And he says then, but lulei divrei amaral. If it wasn't for what the maral said, nearly today, kana, I would have said something a little bit different. Shekach derech I would have just made a simpler argument, which is, this is how war goes. We feel bad if innocent civilians are killed. He's like, I would have just said, I don't want civilians to die, but we don't have a choice, right? This statement is made all the time. How many heads of state have made this statement? You have the right to self-defense and you must protect civilians. It's a joke. It's a joke of a statement. We all know, anyone who knows anything about what's happening in Gaza knows that's a joke of a statement because it's impossible. You can't possibly attack without hurting civilians when their main headquarters is underneath the hospital. It's impossible, right? So, so his argument is, I would have just said, like, of course we don't want innocent civilians to die, which is what we're all saying. No one wants innocent civilians to die. But it's impossible. When it's impossible to, to get rid of the enemy without killing civilians, then that's terrible and we feel bad. But it's okay. It's, it's, you're allowed to do it. Like said that, so Rosh is saying, like, that's what I would have said, right? So how do you explain that? According to, this is like his own shot. How should I explain Shimon Levi? They would say, You saw what Shechem did, how, like, disgusting, comes and grabs a girl, right? Right? Meaning, what were, they, what, what were they arguing? If we don't kill all of them, what's going to happen? They're going to come back at us. Right? So they go ahead and they, and they kill them, not because it's fine, just get rid of all of them. No, because that's part of the self-defense. Right? Same reason that in even other civilized countries are saying, you kill every member of Hamas. Because if you don't, they're just going to build their munitions again and come back. Right? So they killed all the men for that reason. Right? So maybe Yaakov disagreed. He thought, no, maybe you don't have to be that extreme. That was Machlomus. But he says, fine. But, but nevertheless, there's really two approaches here. Right? One is the Amaral. Right? You can just say, we don't look at the individual. And the Maral argues in the moment of war, we look at nation versus nation. And we don't have to look at each and every individual. The, each nation is considered like one individual. The, so that's the morale. What I would have said, he said, if it wasn't for the morale, So he says, look, the morale says, it's, it's nation versus nation. I don't even have to worry about civilians. He says, if it wasn't for the Maral, I would have just said, there's no other way to wage war other than to know that civilians will die. Which, by the way, is true in every other war in the history of the world as long as Israel's not involved, as we know. No one's counting how many civilians the United States Army killed in Afghanistan. I don't know how many it was. It's a lot, right? It's only when Israel's involved. But the point being, that's, it's terrible, and that's why war is horrible, and we don't want war. But when war comes, you either, either like the Maral, or, you know, or like the or like Rashi Weiss. Either way, the argument is, I I uh, I do what I do to to destroy the enemy. I hope not to kill civilians. And I, you know, sorry, that's that's what the Rashi Weiss would say. Right? The Maral would say, I guess you hope not to kill civilians, but you really don't have to worry about it. Either. None of them say anything about trying to minimize the civilians. You don't see that, right? No, no, no. The only thing you would say, the coin of Rashi Weiss, he would say, you 
you're still not, and we're going to see an opinion like that in a second, but Rav Asher Weiss's argument is it's, you only are allowed to kill civilians to the extent that you need to to defeat the enemy, right? right? You know, you might argue that according to the Ma'ara, I mean, the Ma'ara might agree with that also, but you could, you know, according, to Ma, according to the Ma'ara, according to the Rambam, let's say, you could just say that everybody's, every, at least every adult, right, is, uh, is responsible, and that we can, in theory, kill them even if they're not, you know, getting in your way of, 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 of killing a terrorist. But, but yes, but either way, you don't hear, hear them saying to take measures to minimize civilian casualties. You don't hear that. Correct. I'll show you a couple other things, though. Um, the Minchas Chinach in source number is nine, and you'll see why I'm going to quote for you in a second. We're going to quote it in a minute. He writes the following. And the Minchas Chinach is a commentary on the state. Sefer Chinach is an anonymous work written by some Rishon living in like the 11 and 1200s who uh, right, he delineates all 613 mitzvot, and he gives reasons for them and the details of them. And the Minchas Chinach lived many, many years later in Acheron, who on the side of the Sefer Chinach, he, he brings up all these like, other questions that might come you know, when it comes to, 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 to the Shalat hand, different Shalats that relate to that, to that mitzvah. So he writes as follows, it's Sarachi, and we have to try to understand. We mentioned this, I think we may have quoted this last week, two weeks ago also. Even though all mitzvahs are pushed aside when it comes to danger, the mitzvah of war, right, in this case, to destroy the, Zion, the seven nations, you don't say rely on miracles. Right? So if you tell you to go to war, what's going to happen in war? Unfortunately, we know too well. People are going to die. Right? You're going to have people killed on both sides. So you see that the Torah is telling us that a soldier has to go to war even though he's putting his life in his hands. Right? You have to go and try to kill the other nation, the other person, even though it's going to be dangerous, dangerous for you. So we're going to talk about that in a second as we move along. But I want to show you another, another interesting example. We know that David Melech didn't build the Beis Hamidash. Why did David Melech not build the Beis Hamidash? Hands were covered in blood. Hands were covered in blood. So that comes from a Pasuk in Divrei Yamim, source number 10. Pasuk in Divrei Yamim says like this. Vayomer David Lishlomo. David is telling Shlomo on his deathbed. Beni. I wanted to build a base on Mikdash. If I hear a lie, Dvar Hashem lay more, but Hashem came to me and he said, Dam Larov Shafachta. You have spilled a lot of blood. Umachamos Gedolos, Asita, you've made great wars. Lo Sivna Bias Lishmi. You can't build my house. Kidamim Rabim Shafachta, Arza Lefana. You've spilled too much blood on me. It doesn't mean David did something wrong necessarily, right? But David was a great warrior. He killed a lot of people. So Radak mentions something so interesting. Source number 11. So the Radak... Oh, sorry, 10? I'm sorry, I keep on doing this. I apologize. Okay, source number 10, the Radak. My apologies. Dam Larob Shafachta. So he says, We never find the Navi or Nuvua where Hashem actually says this to David Melech. David tells Shlomo that it was said to him. But he's the only one who reports it. We never find that Hashem tells this to David. David But David said it about himself. It's a, it's a, it's a wild thing to say. Because he, said, he tells Shlomo that he heard it from God. Because 
it's for this reason that Hashem didn't let, them, let me build a base of Midash. Oh, Nasan Anavi Amrlo, or maybe Nasan Anavi told him, and even though it's not written anywhere in Sefer Shmuel, because whenever you learn Sefer Shmuel, so you, you learn Divrei Yomim at the same time. It gives you like this, the stories that balance themselves out. They, they, they fill in the blanks for each other. Because um, there are stories that we see things like this. Right? L- language similar. What? What does that mean that he killed a lot of people, but enemy combatants? That's okay. No, but that he killed also innocent people. There's, there's the Uriah, who was Bathsheba's husband, who David had sent to the front lines to get him killed. There are also Kohanim who were killed. And then he writes, Right? There were people, there were not, there were there were people in these nations that he waged war against who died, who may have been wonderful, good Sadiqim, right? Really, really good people. Chasidim. And Afapichain, and he writes, Lo So the Radak said, so why is it he spilled a lot of blood? So that was a little bit bad. Hashem didn't want to let him build a base of Megdash. But David is not held accountable for those deaths. Why? Right? Why did David kill them? He was trying to kill the bad guys. To save himself. He killed the, the Plishtim, man and woman. Right? The, meaning, what the Radak is saying, the reason why David doesn't build the base of Mikdash is because he spilled a lot of blood. And maybe even innocent blood. But, he points out, but David's not held, it's not, this isn't like a, it may not even be a punishment for David per se. It's not like he did something wrong and he's getting punished because the people that he killed in those moments, he was killed in battle. He killed trying to destroy and defeat enemies. Right? Okay, but it's not, so since he was involved so much in, in spilling blood, so Hashem's like, you know what, like, maybe you're not going to be the one to build a base on Megdash. Not because you did a Veros, but maybe you're not going to build a base. There's a different shadow, we've talked about this before, what happens, there's a child of a person who committed murder, and they allow, a, a Kohen can they dochen. Right? So one of the shadows becomes, what if a, 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 a Kohen was in the IDF and he killed, and he killed enemy combatants? Is he allowed to, so we, there's a big discussion in the post, can we assume yes? Um, but the point being, they didn't do anything wrong. Right? So the, the point I wanted, I wanted to focus on in this Radak is that he still points out that David was not wrong when he killed civilians because he was doing it as part of his plan to Destroy enemies. Fine. So I'm going to show you now a piece from Rav Shechter. Rav Herschel Shechter. And he first discusses the fact that, you know, that Midat Yisrael is kind of always in a state of Muhammad. Um, and he talks, about, he talks about what happened when Rav Hutner was kidnapped. Was kidnapped. Rav Hutner um, was on that uh, TWA flight, whatever it was, that got uh, hijacked. What was it? Lockerbie. I don't remember. No. No, uh, no it was taken. Pan Am, whatever. Whatever, whichever flight it was. So, uh, so there's a big discussion because you take him out, shouldn't take him out, etc. Um, but nevertheless, he argues, look at what Shachter says in Surah number 12, it's in the Sefer of Yikveyat's own. And he writes, again, this is written many years ago. Based on everything I've said until now, he says, I would say the following, today, that Midina Yisrael is right now in He means all the time. 
וכל הפרעות והמהומו שבימינו דינם כהמשך מהמלחמה הראשונה. It's all extension of 1948. Netanyahu said it this week, right? He said it's our second war of independence, right? But it's all the same thing. There is one long war. Because the Arabs say out loud, now it's not just the Arabs. From the river to the sea. They say it out loud. They know what they mean. So, I mean, it's not like, right? They, they, we know they want to kill us. You deal with everybody who's, who's attacking you like it's mamish war. If they have to fire, right? They have to fire shots to kill, you do so. Sometimes it's hard to distinguish who's a terrorist. If you don't know who, if you don't, if you're Suffolk, if that person is an enemy combatant or an innocent civilian, you shoot to kill. Just like you would in war. Even those who are innocent civilians. It's according from that same Maharal. So, um, Rashad is talking about even not during a war. He's talking any suspected terrorist may be permissible to kill at any time in the state of Israel because it's constant state of warfare at all times. And I would argue also that since we're dealing with war, we don't worry about the, the lives of individuals, etc., just like, we, just like we mentioned before. So... Um, what he means in Minchas Chinuch, probably what he means is the following. We just said that Minchas Chinuch said that a person has to go to war even though you're putting your life in danger. So the argument is, the Kavach Homer, if that's true for, myself, for, for us, right, that we have to go to war even though our lives will be in danger, certainly we have to go to war even though we may be putting the lives of innocent civilians in danger. Right? Nevertheless, it's, it's, it's permissible to do. So take a look at source number 13. Source number uh, 12. 12 is from, sorry, Rabbi J. David Bleich, uh, he has a safer called Contemporary Halachic Problems. He has five volumes, this big fat book. It's, it's, a very, it's a very, you want to know something? It's probably in there. And, and he writes as follows. Okay, this is an important statement if you know who Rabbi Bleich is, okay? Not only does one search in vain for a ruling prohibiting military activity likely to result in the death of civilians, but to this writer's knowledge, there exists no discussion in classical rabbinic sources that takes cognizance of the likelihood of causing civilian casualties in the course of hostilities legitimately undertaken as posing a halachic or moral problem. Meaning, Rabbi Bleich says, there is nowhere in the postgame where anybody discusses the question of civilian casualties. And if Rabbi Bleich tells you that, that means that it's true. Because he knows everything. I sometimes walk by Rabbi Bleich's office, he has like, I can't even tell you what it looks like in his office. Like, he has piles and piles and piles and piles of things like all you know but he's just right because he's always writing all the time but if Rabbi Black says it doesn't exist then it doesn't exist right? it doesn't exist there is no conversation okay I want to skip um, th- well, there's one, let's not skip let's read these last two sources uh, 13, 14 yeah 13, 14 mm-hmm. okay uh, in Sefer Shmuel Shaul gets to, to Amalek to kill go after Amalek and what does he do Calls to the Canaan. Suru, suru, redu mitocha amaleki. 
Get out of here. Go south. Right? Pen osifcha imo. Because you might get destroyed with them. Tells the Canaan to get out of the way. I'm about to, just, I'm about to kill the Amalekim. So he tells the Canaan, who are not Amalekites, get out of here, because if you don't get out, you're going to die too. So, so Rosh Weiss points out, right? Um, can I borrow yours for a second? Mine's cut off. I don't know he writes, He writes, Nevertheless, goes, it doesn't make sense to say at least you should tell them to leave. Right? Tell them to leave. You don't have to kill them. Right? Tell them to leave. And if they don't leave, then he's very sorry. Right? However, he, if you skip to where it says, that he didn't have to do that. Because if you pay attention to it, he didn't really have to do that. It's nice. It's extra. Because they had helped. He says, the Canaan, you helped us when we left Mitzrayim. So I want to be nice to you. Get out of the way. Meaning, if you hadn't been so nice to us, maybe you wouldn't even tell them. You don't have to. That's a, what? Totally separate population. But they're hanging out in Mount Samalek. We have to kill Amalek. You would be allowed to even kill them. Fine. So I just want to show you that because I think it's interesting. But now look, now I want to show you a piece from Rabbi Jackter has a very, very nice article on this topic. Um, and, he, and he addresses, you know, most of the rest of what we need to talk about. And he says this following. Moreover, even if one asserts that Israel is engaged in a war against the army or community of Hamas terrorists and not the Arabs of Gaza. Again, this was written many years ago. Just the same thing has been going on forever. Israel is halakhically justified in risking collateral damage. Shaul warned the Kani people to move away from Amalek lest they be killed in the ensuing battle. We see that even though Shaul was waging war only against Amalek, he was allowed to risk harming other people and other people embedded within them. Similarly, the Israel army may risk the lives of Palestinian civilians who live among Palestinian terrorists. The same applies to Hezbollah terrorists embedded within the civilian population of Lebanon. As Hershel Schechter commented to me, a war must be fought properly, not with one hand tied behind one's back. Rev. Yuval Shurlow similarly stated that there is an ethical obligation for a nation to win a justified war. There's ethics to war for yourself also. The ethic is to win. If you're going to war already, you have to win. Or, or at least be able to win. Okay, but look at the, the rest of this. The Israeli army is thus clearly entitled to risk the lives of civilians in Gaza their eff- uh, in Gaza, in their efforts to eradicate Hamas. A crucial question, though, is whether Halacha requires Israel to risk its soldiers' lives in order to reduce civilian casualties in Gaza. This question is debated by leading post of our generation. Ravar Lichtenstein believes, this is when he was still alive, that uh, believes Israel must absolutely consider the extent of the justification of killing a large group of civilians mixed with enemy soldiers in order to save the life of an individual, of an individual Israeli soldier. He regards the amount of civilian casualties as a factor to consider when conceiving battle plans. There was a, there was a, a back and forth in these art, art, articles in this safer called Tchumen, uh, which is you know, uh, uh, an Israeli publication. So he said you have to. Rav Shapira and Rav Dov Lior strongly disagree. Rav Lior writes, in times of war, there surely exists firm halakhic basis for any action taken in order to ensure that not even one soldier is God, God forbid harmed. Rav Shechter and Rav Bleich told me they agree with Rav Shapira and Rav Lior. In fact, Rav Shechter argues that Israel acts immorally when it risks its soldiers in order to reduce Arab civilian casualties. Rav Bleich concurred with Rav Shechter that it is forbidden to risk Israeli lives in order to save Arab civilians. Avi Levinson reports that Rav Mordechai Willig told him that he also agrees with the approach of Rav Shapira and Rav Lior. 
Rav Shlomo Avinir argues that the responsibility of a government to protect its civilians, even at the risk of lives of enemy civilians, applies equally to its soldiers as its civilians. Thus, a government is not permitted to risk its soldiers to spare the lives of enemy civilians. We should know that neither side in this debate cites an explicit source regarding this matter. Fascinating. Rather, it appears to be a question of halachic moral intuitions of, greater, of great poskim. We cannot say that one side of this debate is more stringent or maintains a higher moral standard because each side believes the opposing position is morally wrong. <coughs> one could simply add that just as we cited from Rabbi Israel and Rabbi Bleich, that there's no halachic source that takes cognizance of the likelihood of causing civilian casualties in the course of hostilities legitimately undertaken, so too there exists no classic halachic source requiring or even permitting risking Israeli soldiers to save Arab civilian lives. In the absence of explicit sources in either direction, the intuition of nearly all of rabbinic authorities does not accord with the Lichtenstein. Interesting. But now there's one, actually, one last point here, which, I think, which is very important. Rav Bleich cautions, though, that in certain situations it seems that Israel might be justified in risking soldiers' lives in order to spare Arab civilians. If it feels that causing Arab civilian casualties will later endanger Israeli lives as a result of, unjustified, international condemnations. One might add that if Israel fears that Arabs in neighboring countries will be incited by large-scale civilian casualties and pressure their leaders to wage war against Israel and therefore endanger Israeli lives, risking Israeli soldiers to save other Israeli lives might be permitted, meaning you're, you're, you're saving Arab civilians, but you're really doing, in theory, is saving Israeli civilians. Okay, I'll leave that to the, to the politicians and the generals to decide that. We should stress that in these cases, risking Israeli soldiers may be justified since that it will say also save Israeli lives in the long run. Rabbi Akiva's famous dictum that Chayecha Koben your life, your life comes first, is most applicable and relevant to this situation. The lives of Israel's soldiers enjoy precedence over the lives of enemy civilians. Rishalom Razer noted that this is similar to the criticism leveled by Yaakov Avinu at Shimon Levi. He did not criticize the morality of their actions, but rather, what does he say? He notes the pragmatic consequences of killing of Shechem. We're a tiny people, and now the nations of Canaan will gather and massacre us. Similarly, Israel is justified in risking their soldiers' lives if the leadership's, uh, if the leadership's intuition, probably, is not only to spare enemy civilians, but also to avoid an escalation of Gazan war into an all-out war with its Arab neighbors. This was written before this current conflict. But the point being, the bottom line, right, the bottom line is, you don't find anywhere in the halakhic literature that you are expected to put your own people in danger in order to spare civilian casualties. It doesn't mean we should be happy with civilian casualties. We don't want them. We're not interested in that, and we say that over and over again, and it's true. We're not, we're not interested. We tell the king to get out of there. We tell them to leave. We do, we do all of that. But in the end of the day, if whether on their own or because Hamas is not allowing them to leave, they're still there. The, the, the sadness, the tragedy of, 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 of women and children being murdered is terrible. But it doesn't mean that we therefore put our, our, our civilians and our soldiers in danger. Um, and and that seems to be, it's, most shiurim don't come up with such a clear psaq. This one's pretty clear. This one's pretty clear. And it's important to know that. It's important to know. We should know what the halacha says. Again, what the army is going to do, they're going to do based on what they think is right and what they think works. I don't know what they're asking Shailas. But what's cl- what, what they're clearly doing right now is saying... We need, to, we need to get rid of the terrorists, and that's what they're going to do. Yeah? There's one important nuance is that what they're also saying is that, you know, like I said, by clear day, you have two choices. You're either going to die or you're going to surrender. Because it's not 
Our goal is to defeat them. It's not right. to kill all. Right. If all of Hamas would surrender, and we surrender. right, correct, we don't want to kill you. Yeah, surrender. Release all Hamas. Right. Give up their weapons and so on. But we do it. Israel should take it. As we always say. Kill them for vengeance. Right. We're, we're Correct. This. We're not, it's not a no, it's a, very, it's a very good point. Correct. It's about, it's about ending the enemy. It's about ending the enemy. So, uh, it's, it, but it's important to know. We, we should know what we believe. We should know what we, what we stand for. And Bez Hashem, we should be successful in defeating the enemy. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah.